My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. And welcome back to the post-credit pod. We have a wonderful show today. Eric, I'm excited because we are going to be talking with Skylar Schuler, founder of and editor-in-chief of the Diz Insider. Basically the the best Disney expert like on the market, you could say. He knows everything about Lucasfilm. He knows everything about Disney and Marvel, all that good stuff. I'm excited about that. Because I've got that weird, like, sort of vague spelling, not really spelling problem, but do you know how I once thought uh, Collider was Collider? I do, and I, I still make fun of you for it. So it's the Diz Insider. My brain would read it as the Diznider. <laughs> I will say, I keep thinking it's like Disney Cider or something like that. I totally agree. Not to hate on his, his title name, I just wear the dumb ones. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. My dumb brain. But then I, I looked at it, I was like, oh, Diz Insider makes way more sense. And also in this episode, we're continuing our Mandalorian season one recap and review. Obviously, we got to get those in because season two is creeping up on us, Eric. Which By the time you hear this, it'll be one week. Exactly. So we have to get through that as well. But first, probably the most pressing news of the day by the time you guys are listening to this at home, Borat 2, Borat's subsequent movie film, which is the official title, will be available to stream on Amazon. Eric, you and I have both seen it. I think this movie's phenomenal, like flat out fantastic and amazing. And what I love about it is that it's still the mockumentary, hidden camera, vulgar shock humor that we know from the 2006 movie, right? Yeah. What I think this movie does so well and actually elevates beyond the original is that it exposes the hypocrisy of American exceptionalism. It uses our own self-image as the most star-spangled, awesome, fuck you, we're the best freedom state ever, who are dedicated to fairness and equality, and exposes how untrue that truly is on on a daily basis. The casual misogyny, racism, bigotry. It just puts it all out there in the open. And it is just so funny and terrifying watching these crazy people expose who they really are. And I think he does such a better job in this one than he did in the first one, which may have been more of a straight comedy. And this is probably a bit more satire. I think the first thing that I was asked by the guys at work was, is it as good as the first one? And it's sort of hard to judge for me because when the first one came out, I was 13. So I was like right in the Borat headspace, right? Like <laughs> me and my friends would stay up late, eat candy and fucking watch shit like that. So it's kind of hard to compare the two films because of how I felt about that one then. And now I'm a grown man. So I'm not sure if the jokes would hit the same. Only legally though, that you're a grown man. But Right. But when I did... Well, I watched the first one right before I watched this new one. That was smart. And I found that while the way that the film is built and the way that the jokes are built are very similar, if not the exact same, what's changed is us and what's changed is the world, right? Like back then in 2006, he was just going for the dumb ones. 
Whereas yeah. in this one, I feel like he's going for the bad ones. And this he's is doing more it sniper's aim than like machine gun spray. Exactly. He's doing it on purpose. Whereas back then we had the time and space to laugh about Borat hijinks. Now, <clears throat> because our world is so insane, what Borat is doing feels important and feels needed. And to think that that's what we would be saying about this character 14 years from when the first one came out shows how much the times have changed. It shows the very way in which this film came out, uh, which we probably found out sooner than they wanted us to because that clip went viral, but they went from the film being found out to confirming that it's real to announce the title release date and then to drop the film over the course of six to seven weeks, which is insane. So the fact that they rushed out there like that tells me that they knew how important it was. Um, now that said, do I think it's funnier than the first to get back to, to my first point? No. And I could guarantee you that some people, depending on their point of view of, of the world, are going to absolutely hate this. But that's that the case for the first one. But too. that's kind of the point, right? What, where you, how you feel about this film is sort of the litmus test of if you would be a Borat target or not. So for those who are maybe on the fence, give a brief background about the plot. This is 14 years later. Borat is being sent back to his America, to America by his country because apparently within the universe of this film, the first movie embarrassed Kazakhstan so much that they're trying to ingratiate themselves to Donald Trump's inner, inner circle by offering uh, Mike Pence a gift. That's essentially the, the crux of Borat too. And along the way, his 15-year-old daughter joins him for these hijinks in America. And it essentially skewers the COVID-19 pandemic and the 2020 elections. Now, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. You're right, maybe not quite as laugh out loud hilarious as the first one, though it's hard to judge because we saw that one in a packed theater in what was like a phenomenon at the time. And this, we probably both watched it in their, our respective homes. But I love how it really does offer the most honest satire in years because these are people, it, yes, from the comforts of our couch and with hindsight, it's easy to poke fun at those that get tricked in the moment. But it's also easy, and I wrote this on my piece for Observer that's coming out Friday morning, it's also easy to judge people for their honest words and their honest actions because that's the true marker of character. So when, very, very light spoiler alert, so when Borat asks like a hardware store manager how much propane he needs to kill a trailer full of gypsies and the guy doesn't bat an eye, when he asks a cake designer to write, Jews will not replace us, replace us on a chocolate cake and she does it without missing a beat these are people that are just allowing casual hatred to wash over them probably because they agree with it and they're exposing themselves and one of the best set pieces i guess you'd call it is when he infiltrates an alt-right rally in washington and basically spurns up a sing-along i won't spoil what is said or how he, he goes about that but it is again an example of American citizens not even being remotely close to the moral superior beings we'd like to fancy ourselves in relation to the rest of the world. This is a smart prank movie. The best point to be made is that it's not that we're shocked by what is said because 
we sort of expect that sort of vileness from humanity people at this point. What's shocking is how easily it's drawn out of them. Yeah. That, that is the effectiveness of Borat that you are running into what is an absurd person, whether he's playing Borat or some sort of Borat playing some other guy, regardless of in what form you meet him, it's absurd. And yet this clownish character is still able to draw. The most shocking line to me in the entire thing was uh, at that debutante ball. I wanted to talk about this as well. So I'm so I Well, because I don't want to go into it because I don't want to ruin it. But the fact that somebody would say that around the people that he was around so casually. I say, I say let's offer a spoiler alert and then talk about it a little bit. The point is that this guy hasn't known this Borat character for more than 30 seconds. And what he says is so shocking and so repulsive that you almost, it's almost scary to think that these people don't just exist in this film. When the cameras stop rolling, they continue on being those people. And one thing I actually specifically loved about the debutante ball scene. Which, hold on, is a weird thing in and of itself. I That's need to look happening at, in the world. Yeah. I don't understand what it is. Like it was okay, so like a debutante ball with your father. No, it's especially back in the day in terms of like Southern high society. It's kind of ipso facto, like a coming out party of sorts for young women who are entering the age in which they can start being courted of sorts. And they, go with, and they go with their fathers. Now, I'm not an expert on like the debutante ball etiquette. I know that like Southern Belle with like Papa on their arm is like a very normal thing. And again, this is relatively mid, mid 20th century. Obviously it's still going on to a certain degree. But one thing I found so great and funny about this so throwback Southern debutante ball is the only person in the entire building that shows an ounce of class is one of the probably spoiled 15-year-old debutantes who hears Borat ask her father, like, how much would you pay for my daughter? And he's like, 500 bucks. And she just looks at him and goes, you're fucking disgusting. That was that was the line for me That was that was like the – the most cutting line of the entire. And if you looked at this dude, not to get two hits bong, this guy looked like a lizard person. I mean, yeah. you look at this motherfucker and it, and his eyes were like black. And the only word for it is disturbing because people like out there not only exist and not only are so like free wielding in their grossness, yeah, but they usually have wealth and power too. And it's, and it's horrible. And the fact that this 15-year-old girl who has 30 seconds of screen time in the entire movie is probably one of only two people that shows any morality whatsoever is terrifying. Yeah, but that scene was just shocking. So I also want to talk in terms of Borat quickly. Maria Bakalova. She's the one who plays Borat's daughter. She's really good. She is so good. <laughs> She's kind of like a scene stealer. Borat, obviously, is hysterical in this. Sasha Baron Cohen, long history uh, of hilarity. But she does not break in any situation. And I don't care how much you were paying me as, like, as a performer. I don't know if I could physically endure some of the cringe, humiliating moments 
throughout that film. And this girl does not break. And her improv skills are amazing. In terms of the engine room and like the screenwriting, she's the film's hero. She's the main character. She is who we follow from living in a dirt pen to like being able to become a journalist that is able to sit down with the president's lawyer. So it's her journey that we follow, really. Borat, in, in this sense, is almost like her sidekick. Yeah. In terms of the way that the film is set up, there's a part where we spend time just with her. He's, they He's split up. Part at, of the movie. Yeah, so what, I think she was in something before this, but to find somebody who has the chops to like not only act, but to do it in these high-tension moments but mostly unscripted like they obviously have an idea of what they're going for but they don't know what the other person's gonna say or do yeah and and for her to have to strike a chord between being like a cartoon but also seeming like a real person yeah incredible um i i will i'm sure that she will get plenty of work from from here on out now the climax of the film has her interviewing Rudy Giuliani. We won't get into kind of what shenanigans unfold because believe me, you just you just want to go in and watch it for yourself. But what was your takeaway from that, Eric? Because this, this is the moment of the movie. Yeah, so what I wrote for work is, while it's certainly not illegal, it's definitely slimy. There's yeah. no other way to slice it. Now, and I don't think that this is unique to Rudy or to conservatives or to politicians. I think that there are a lot of shady men in a lot of walks of life that would act just like this. The shock comes in the fact that somebody this high up and this powerful could be compromised so easily. So easily. And that to me is where he looks bad. Not what he did, but the fact that he was even in the spot to get caught doing something like that. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, think about how ridiculous her character is at face value. Then think about how wild it is once Borat bursts in as the boom mic guy. And at no point does Rudy ever consider something's off here or he's too fucking horny to even think twice about it. So, am I surprised? No. Is it going to get him canceled like we all hoped it would? No. But is it certainly an embarrassing, horrible look for him that is something that we could make fun of him for for as long as we want? Absolutely. Especially for someone in August who told the New York Post that he was proud of himself because he didn't fall for Sasha Baron Cohen's tricks. That's a direct quote that he told the New York Post. I'm like, well, uh, you did. You absolutely did. Yeah, and that's my point kind of, right? It's not the pants thing that shocked me. It was that it even got that far. That is the embarrassing part for him. If Borat 2 teaches us anything... Hold on, and then one quick thing. I want to just give myself props because when we first talked about this, I said that I am expecting him to get somebody high up in the Trump admin, and that's exactly what we got. That is true. And... If Borat 2 teaches us anything, it's that people indeed do convince themselves of anything and everything that fits their agenda. And I think that theme is played out in hysterical fashion over and over 
and exposed by the hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing another by these, I don't even want to call them everyday people because their value system is so shocking to me, but everyday people. <laughs> All right. Well, Borat overall, I say you guys got to watch it immediately. What's your, what's your one second review, Eric? In a year where there's not a lot of funny films, this has got to be one of the funniest films of the year by a mile. There's no question. There were a, a few scenes where I was absolutely cackling. And if you can watch it with a group of people, I highly recommend doing that as opposed to, you know, everyone sequestered in their own rooms because this is definitely a nice communal comedy view. Yeah, for sure. All right, you want to get into some Mando, my man? Da-na, da-na, da-na. <laughs> Now, first of all, I think you got to do that for every subsequent episode because you're, you're quite good at nailing those beats. I love that theme song. Second of all, I will say... That these two were the worst by a yep. fucking mile. So for those that haven't been uh, uh, following along, we have been tackling Mando season one, two episodes at a time. This week, we are doing Mando episode five and Mando episode six. Starting with five, the entire crux is that Mando's in a dogfight when we open. And also- Which I is cool. It is cool, Which but is I do- cool. I wrote down here, vastness of space. Why always run into someone? Question mark. <laughs> Which I just like, you know, again, I'm nitpicking, but like truly space is really big and these people seem to find each other so easily. And so during this dogfight, Mando's ship, the Razor Crest, great name still, gotta give yep. props there. It gets, uh, I was gonna say injured, but damaged is probably what you would say to an inanimate object. Uh, and so he is forced to land on guests of all places, Tatooine. And essentially while he's there, he's getting ship repairs from a character played by Amy Sedaris in very delightful fashion. And he basically teams up with a rookie bounty hunter to make some money, pay for his repairs and get the hell off Tatooine. That's, that's the whole overarching plot to this episode. Played by Bobby Cannavale's son. Well, I will tell Bobby Cannavale that he's a phenomenal actor, and I will tell Bobby Cannavale's son that I want to punch him in the face because he has a highly punchable face, and I thought he was terrible in this. I mean, look. I, I did write, actually, in my notes. My second-to-last note is just punchable face. Yeah, but I think that's the point, right? So my take on this episode, easily, easily the worst one of the season. I don't agree. Well, we can we can hash that out. I think six is definitely worse. Six is six is bad too. Six is really bad too. So I, I hated this because it all felt very pointless. As you and I have discussed in our Mando recap session, we do not like the episodic mini adventure self-contained chapters that are the bulk of season one. It doesn't add anything to the overarching plot. It doesn't help us. Uh, understand Mando or the kid better. It doesn't give us any origin stories. And for here as well, I don't like it because you could set this episode on any other planet besides Tatooine. It would be the exact same episode. The only reason to set it on Tatooine here is so they could say Womp Rat and go to the cantina and someone says High Ground. It was the thinnest of the thin writing, which has been my consistent complaint throughout Mando season one. Yeah, I mean, this entire one is pretty much fan service. There's that ending with, uh, we'll get to that, but from start to end, it's really just a like, hey, look, ignore the fact that this writing is poor and that the plot is going absolutely nowhere. And look at all these fun things from from your past. Tatooine, yay. And (laughs) as a non-Star Wars guy, or 
as a Star Wars, I don't know if critic's the right word, but normie. Normie. Like someone who appreciates it on a normal level, as opposed to me, who's like a diehard OT yeah, fan. Right. So not knowing all of these hints and nods made this entire, I don't know, 40 minutes a total waste of time. We literally didn't need it at all. Because he, why does he stop down there to even begin with? Because he, he got shot. Up. Right, right, right. Okay. There's not even a point to it. It's just, hey, the plot demands that I stop here. And where I'm stopping is a place that Star Wars fans are going to go, ooh. Yeah. Even though Tatooine plays no actual role in the episode. It could be any planet. Well, they do have that one quick scene with the uh, Tusken Raiders, but. Right, but like. You know, couldn't he be bartering with anybody? Couldn't well, he? But that's their thing, right? Is that not their thing? What do you mean? Like that they, uh, or no, that's that's the Jawas, right? Who steals shit? Who's always stealing yeah, shit with the them Jawas, sticky fingers? Okay, so like okay. what I'm saying, it doesn't contribute to the plot other than being self-referential. And so right. when there's no point or, or content or substance to the self-referential meta Easter eggs, then I find it the laziest of lazy. Because you can do it well. You know, I think Marvel's kind of pulled that off and straddled that line really well. In this case, there, there is nothing that pushes forward. There's no propulsion. And I suppose what concerns me is that I don't really understand why. Like, you've said that this is how Jon Favreau wanted the show to be. And that definitely concerns me going forward. Because if we get more of the... And what's crazy is that this one was helmed by Dave Filoni. So, like, you would... I, I would expect more from him... Given his, so anyone who doesn't know, Dave Filoni is the uh, creator of Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series, and Star Wars Rebels, the animated series, critically acclaimed uh, TV cartoon set in the you know Star Wars universe. He's also by by all means basically George Lucas's protege, and he directed Episode One, which is thus far the best one of the season. So. I don't know what went wrong here. I don't know if they sort of had to stretch the plot out. They want like. Which is also a bad Disney told them, well, right. Disney told them you need to get to eight shows. And then they found themselves with six. So they had to make these two to just kind of fill in the gaps, which I would rather just less shows. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I have written here, basically only good thing, Stormtrooper helmets on pikes. Yes, which is same. a very cool image. It's, it speaks to what's going on in the galaxy in terms of, I was about to say national attitude, universal attitude, which is a much larger scale. And I liked that uh, before that too, there's some talk about like the new Republic, you know, at some point in this, in this episode. So that's the type of stuff I want to know more. I'm like, wow, what is, what are the specific details going on in this world in this time period? We haven't really visited too much. Other than that, it's a waste. They waste Migna Wen, who's a really talented actress, you know, in this very small bit role that, amounts to nothing this, this is just a bad episode who i think might come back though given well, the ending shot in the belly and died so yeah but then uh, but then the ending shows what we think is uh boba yeah, fett talk about the ending okay yeah so it's a guy with boots and spurs and a mando-esque gun who i mean you would know more than me it's probably boba fett so but what is he trying to do do you think He's clearly on the trail, either of the child or of the Mando, I, I would say. May, you know, not clearly, but that's my guess. 
but I think he's just, you know, checking, checking his body out, like surveying the scene. I don't think she's coming back. I think she might be dead. But last we saw of him, he got eaten by that thing, right? Yeah, he was, uh, um, oh God. Starlock pet? Yes, thank you. It's so annoying because I always reference the Starlock pet. And of course, when we're on microphone, I can't <laughs> remember the name. So yeah, his last appearance was in Return of the Jedi where he was swallowed up by the Sarlacc pit. But ever since 1983, I believe, Return of the Jedi came out, ever since then, it has been an ongoing, like, beloved fan theory that he climbed out of the Sarlacc pit and returned all of the expanded universe, which is now non-canon under Disney. Thousands of stories about Boba Fett's adventures post-Return of the Jedi and we also know that at one point they were developing a Boba Fett movie with James Mangold before Solo bombed and kind of put all those, those things to bed. So wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So that, that would have been really cool. So yeah, no shit. He's an obvious choice to bring back. He's an obvious choice to kind of satisfy the expanded universe fans because he was the number one, like, Oh, we're going to go do some crazy stuff with this character. So him popping up in, in season two, which, the actor who played Django Fett in the prequels, I uh, can't confirmed. remember his name. Yeah, off the, off the top of my head. I believe his agent- Tamara Morrison or something? Yes, like yes, thank you. I should have done my research. You, you got the good memory. Uh, so I believe his agent or one of his representatives did confirm that he is appearing in season two. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's very much at this point, like that's probably Boba Fett. Now, do we think he's going to be friend or foe? I mean, I don't know if you bring Boba Fett in if he's not going to shed a little bit of blood. Who does he work for at this point? Well, he was no one, for the right? Huts when he quote unquote died. Huts are obviously Dunzo. It's about five years later. So he's probably a freelancer trying to, trying to figure everything out. We also know that Timothy Oliphant is going to pop up in season two. Cobb Vanth. Yeah. So rumors are that he might've stolen Boba Fett's armor somehow. Boba Fett's trying to, get that back i don't know if that's true that is one of those junk fact rumors that we love to talk about see here. them spinning off see i could live with one-off mando chapters if it's about other characters that would be cool watching the main character sort of screw around is boring to me but if they were to advance the plot of other characters like boba that would be fucking sick to me and we're going to talk about that more with skylar schuler who's the expert on all things disney in terms of like what Mando season two might all be about, which I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, okay, general agreement, episode uh, five sucks. Stanker. Episode six, I also think it sucks. You say it's the worst. This is the worst one by a mile. This is, a, this is bad. <laughs> so for fans who either haven't seen it, which like, come on. This Mark. to me is Star Wars at its worst, right? Like we talked about how a lot of what they did went right. And if... Any of it was out of place, the whole thing would have sort of caved in on itself. This is Star Wars going wrong. The costumes look cheap. The voices are corny. The writing is thin. The drama is bottom barrel. Everything about this is Star Wars in its absolute worst form. So in this episode, Mando is teaming up with uh, his old, like, mercenary friend who puts him and a handful of other people including bill burr on essentially like a prisoner breakout mission you know mando needs money as always and you know he's teaming up with these people and in customary fashion shit goes wrong now like we've been saying again it is this episodic mini adventure that i don't care about because one we don't know anything about the prisoner breakout until like midway through the episode right. two 
Every other character is a new character that we don't care about. Bill Burr's like kind of funny in it, but also a little distracting. Cause again, it's just this new character in episode six that we're like, all right, does this even matter? And on a more macro level, what I'm most interested in when it comes to the Mandalorian overall is Mando's origins and the ongoing surra- uh, surrounding story related to him and his people in terms of the other Mandalorians and their culture and what happened to that society. And number two, Baby Yoda, all things Baby Yoda. So I would say same, but I would flip those two. Baby Yoda one, and oh, then no, Baby Yoda. It wasn't no. in like a ranking order. Just I'm, just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding because I was going <laughs> to say Baby Yoda one, and then Baby Yoda two, and okay. then Mando's past third. Right. And that's really fair. So, but I would say a lot of Star Wars fans and Mando fans agree with that. But those are the two most compelling elements of this series. And this episode doesn't do absolutely anything for either. And what's more, when we talk about thin writing and a lack of character development, in episode one, we see him take in that blue alien played by Horatio Sands for a bounty with no questions asked, right? For all we know, that guy might have been a good guy just caught up in, in a tough situation. We don't really know. Here in episode six, just because he's been taking care of this kid, he's all, all of a sudden not willing to kill this normal Republic guy who's very much in their way in terms of the mission. Now, yes, that makes him the hero to us and the audience is like, yeah, he's the good guy but I need some development as to how he reached this point. I need some externalization of what's going on internally to understand. It can't just be like, well, now he's taking care of the kid. So like, he's a good guy now. I need actual character development and not just character inference or suggestion. It's not even like they were at any stage presented him to be a bad guy like from the moment we meet him although in this episode the guy talks about their crazy stuff going on and mando says it was a long time ago okay like exactly so tell me what has changed about you as a person since then right 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 so but it's almost like they build in a three-way standoff standoff. yeah just to make it clear like look guys he's the good guy this kid is teaching him to find his heart Aw, like, I feel like we're being treated like children, you know? Yeah. Um, they beat you over the head with it, too. Like, multiple scenes in this episode where he's like, that was a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. We don't have to kill this guy. I'm like, okay, relax, first of all. We get it. Second of all, how did we reach this? Or, point? right, don't give us the context through who he is now. Give us the context through who he was. Love a flashback in this episode. Yeah, this way we could reverse engineer our thoughts of him. Instead of telling us, oh, he's good now, show us why he was bad then. Um, Now, the casting is just bananas. The, um, the, like, his old buddy was, um, I believe, the cop from Bad from uh bad boy no sorry too fast too furious right and who has and, and everything that, else yes okay and then there's bill burr who we talk about a lot when uh casting takes us out of what we're trying to watch and this is a bad one <laughs> the fact <laughs> that they have a guy who sounds like he's from fucking boston in the middle of space is absurd to me i don't know who that casting is for if you don't know who he is, then why bother? And if you do, I find that it's only distracting. I, I actually think he adds a little bit of, of energy. 
it's a much needed like personality. So I, sure. I, I like that we disagree on, on something within this overarching agreement. I don't necessarily think Bill Burr is a great actor. And I do understand that it's weird that someone from space sounds like they're from Boston, but this was something lively in what was other, otherwise such a flat run of episodes that I was so bored. Now, when they talk about his past, are we to assume he used to fuck that pink headed thing? Is that what they're trying to infer? I think yes. Oh my god! Now, but you the mass- remember, like humanoid but- humanoids aren't the only ones like getting it on in this Star Wars universe. It's like it's normal for like different species to be. I'm more concerned about him. So the mask stays on during sex. That's that's a great question. I mean, I have to believe, like, no matter how. I'm just picturing him in like yeah. the helmet and then a cape and then nothing else, and it's it's just like, what are you doing? Maybe it makes him feel powerful, man. The mask stays on during sex, babe. Like, what, dude? All right. How do you even... As as traumatized as he would be from his childhood experience, as much as his Mando religion has calcified his soul and his heart, like, he still has needs. Like, he was was fucking someone at some point. And then her. It's like her. It's like, what are you doing? The guy in the helmet? I I just find the whole thing... I just... I Not so much that it's an interspecies sex. It's that a Mandalorian who doesn't take off his fucking helmet has to figure out a way to make that work. That's what's hilarious to me. It's just, it's such an odd episode. And I found myself actually checking my phone during the action scenes. Yeah. Now, I will say one point that we talked about last week was the way that kind of American slash English language colloquialisms and idioms pop up in a galaxy far, far away. Right. One, Bill Burr calls Mando a wise ass. And I still prefer scruffy-looking nerf herder in terms of Star Wars insults so far. I mean, and it's just—he sounds like he's going to Dunkin' Donuts and, and yeah. going to like park his car, and he calls him wise ass. Like it's just—it feels so out of place to me. Um, Again, I think. Listen, John Favreau's best script is Swingers, which is phenomenal. Uh, Chef was pretty good, but otherwise, he's mostly known for like the Jungle Book and uh, Iron Man 1, which was great, but which was rewritten on the day of shooting, and uh, The Lion King. So, like, his big-budget spectacles of the last five years are more so unbelievably impressive visual achievements and not necessarily beloved and successful because of their scripts. And I think we see that bleeding in here. I I think Jon Favreau was a safe, commercial, successful choice. I mean, look, The Mandalorian's on par with Stranger Things. You can't call it anything else besides a massive success but would i have liked to seen a bit more writer centric creators tackle the scripts yeah this is cool too because well no not cool too one of the cool things about this is that we get our first look at the x-wings yeah that was fun all right well you ready to talk to skylar get into some really yes and i'm hyped to talk about the next two mandos because these two i think are outside of the first one the best two of the entire season so this is this is like and i've talked about this a lot this is when for the first time i was like wow star wars i get it now (laughs) all right well then i'm extra excited to talk about it because we'll finally be on somewhat equal footing maybe i don't know we'll see All right, now I'm really excited for our latest guest on the show, Skylar Schuler. 
founder and, and editor-in-chief of the Diz Insider, probably the smartest guy when it comes to all things Disney on the internet right now. Me and him have had some amazing conversations about Marvel, the, the Disney, Lucasfilm, just a, a guy who's all over the map in terms of scoops, news, reviews. Really happy to have you on, Skylar. Thank you so much for joining us, my man. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I love what you guys have been doing with the podcast, so it's an honor to be on with you guys. Oh, that's sweet. I wish every guest was as nice and as complimentary as you, Skylar. <laughs> then we would have more of them on. I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they'll come. That's a direct shot to all of our past guests. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am so was, was. I'm sorry, Jake Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, first, actually, now I just want to sort of ask you about your site because now I'm just super curious. When did you start it, and how did you get yourself so plugged in? Because I, I was kind of like, I am impressed, first of all, to see – well, A, how you get these scoops from what is probably the biggest entertainment company in the world as a non-major source, and B, that this is not your full-time job, which I was shocked to hear. So A, congrats on, on it going well, and B, sort of just tell me how it got started and how you got to the spot you're at now. Yeah, that's it, it, so it's actually really, really random. Um, when I was growing up, I was a huge Disney fan, popped in Peter Pan as a kid when I was like three years old, you know, Disneyland trips all my life. I'm 30 now, but Disney has been a part of my life for years. And, uh, you know, parents kind of brought me up through it. Uh, you know, going through high school, just kind of started getting a love for like Golden Age Hollywood, old school movies, you know, um, whether it was like Gone with the Wind, Metropolis, uh, Singing in the Rain, which is one of my favorite movies. So movies mixed with Disney has always been my passion and I love the history behind Disney. And um, it wasn't until I was in high school, I took a creative writing class and I was just like, oh my gosh, I love writing too. And my big dream was, you know what? I'm gonna be a screenwriter, I wanna be a director. That was like my big thing uh, that I wanted to accomplish. And all of a sudden that all changed and I was more entertainment business in college and um, us both buddy <laughs> yeah it was it, it was it was it was quite the shift and um i it, it's funny enough i i've been working in the music industry uh for a sh uh, popular streaming service for seven years now and um so movies really isn't like my full-time thing and it's just i started oh my gosh back in 2013 i started this instagram where i'm like i'm just gonna share all my knowledge disney and history on instagram and it was called disney film facts it was like the silliest name for just anything that anything that you could start and um i ran that you know just little facts here and there cool little behind the scenes pictures of you know walt disney with some of the you know the actors that were working on mary poppins and alice in wonderland and one day back in like 2013 into 2013 i had posted the first image of maleficent um it was a behind the scenes photo and everyone's like oh my gosh i had no idea this movie was in development and oh, wow it's crazy to think that people are not in the know with the development of films they just they see the first trailer and they're like oh my gosh this movie's coming out they don't there's a lot of people who aren't in the sector and it's probably bigger now with like twitter and instagram and all these websites coming out but it was back back in 2013 it was still like a wow we had no idea this was in development you should post more news so i started posting news and 
my best friend Derek uh, Cornell jumped on board and shout we, out we, Derek. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. Um, he joined the team and we just started doing different things. We were running a, another uh, entertainment website that we stopped doing because we loved doing this. And you know, last year it was you know we're going to dedicate more time to doing news. And in like 2019, we changed the name to the Diz Insider. And from there, it's kind of been crazy. You know, we've, we're lucky to know people um, at the studio, outside of the studio, in the film sector. Uh, we were invited to the Beauty and the Beast World premiere a couple of years ago, which was really nice. Very we cool. met a lot of people there. And, um, you know, from there, it's just taken off. And it's been, it's been really fun. We've met so many people doing this, uh, you know, whether it's in the actual film business, working on films or reporting on films like yourself and Brandon. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been an awesome journey and I, I hope, hopefully, you know, we keep growing and we'll see what happens from there. For sure. Well, congrats on that. I love to see a guy in ours just trying to chase what they love. That's what we're trying to do here. So. And I love how organic your origin story is. Like that's not forced at all. That's not bad writing. That's something right. that oh, yeah, comes from passion. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a blast. It's uh Disney's a huge part of my life. It's, it's, Probably, uh, probably a little weird to some, but you know, for me, it's just normal. No, it's the most monolithic media entertainment conglomerate on earth that, for the most part, makes really enjoyable entertainment. So, if people think it's weird, fuck them. Yeah, there you go. who could hate on Disney? That's like childhood in its purest form. Uh, you know, there's those there's those groups that want to hate on something because it's the cool thing to do. So, you kind of lead us to a good point. The reason that we wanted to talk to you right now is because we are a week out from the release of the Mandalorian season two. Um, season one, as I've told B a few times was one of the best star Wars times I've had in my life. I think that the first three are boring, not because they're bad, just because of my age. Um, and then I think that the prequels are abject. Um, but this is sort of what I enjoy is it's like scaled back. It's very focused. It's grimy. It's dirty. So what did you enjoy most about the first season? And did you expect to like this show more than you did? Or is it not as good as you would have hoped? That's a good question. I, we, so we went into this, well, at least myself. I went in the, it was Disney Plus's prime, you know, a series it was their prime original content based on a beloved franchise um so so it's tough anytime you think something big in the world of star wars you know when you think big production high-end production value and you see something like that going to streaming or tv you you kind of lower your expectations because you know tv lower budget you know it, you see a, a, dim, a diminishing quality for some things when it, when they go to TV, not all the time, trust me. Um, so I was, I, of course I was interested. There's always been talks of different star Wars TV series for, for years now. And this is the first one to do it. I, for me, season one started slow and probably like yourself, didn't catch on till about episode three or four to where I really got invested with these characters and they finally took off. Um, you know, it's in, in terms of the movies, I, 
I'm, I think I'm like everyone else. I, I think the sequels are okay. I think the original trilogy is great. I, uh, I have my own problems with Return of the Jedi, but you know, that's here nor there. And then the prequels, same thing. You, you'll, you, there's some to like about one, two's awful, three's got some redeeming qualities and probably is the best of them all. But I think the Mandalorian is just great in the sense that it tells a new story in a world that we already know. It's it's not completely brand new to where anyone can jump in and get lost and not know that this is Star Wars, but something that they can turn on and be like, oh, we're in the Star Wars universe. And uh, that's what I like. I like new stories in a world I know instead of new stories in a new world that I'm not going to know. Um, but that was just me personally. I, I feel... You know, I, I just feel like it, it's it's a solid series on par with something like a uh, like a Game of Thrones, like a, a Disney's version of Game of Thrones. And I don't mean that in a, in the sense that you know the phenomenon Game of Thrones was. It's completely different. But in the in the sense that you can tell thematic stories in a series, and I like that. Now you're in the space. Um, B has brought up how going into episode one that there were that there was word on the street that there was going to be a big bomb drop at the end as we now know that bomb drop turned out to be a tiny green thing called baby yoda what what were you hearing at the time um did you, what did you expect the big twist to be because i think one of the things that blows me away most is that they were able to keep something that blew up into a phenomenon even if you didn't watch the show, you knew what it was, how right. they kept that under wraps for so long. So as someone who was in the space at the time, what was sort of the word on the street then? You know, I think the Mandalorian itself, as far as people I know and who I've talked to in, in little circles that we, we we're all connected with, I think the Mandalorian did a good job keeping everything under a tight lock and key. Um, it was their first Star Wars series, so I, I'm sure they weren't wanting anything out, just like anything else they're they're churning out over at the studio. I, you know, just me personally, I suspected maybe, maybe a uh, Boba Fett would would appear, or a Jango Fett, or, or not Jango Fett, uh, Boba Fett, or a um, another popular Mandalorian. There was talks that that could be the case, and there was teases, and now that we know from like new reports this is likely going to happen moving forward. So I really knew absolutely nothing going in, in terms of the behind the scenes stuff. It was, everything was under a tight lock and key. It, it was really just like the big, huge Hollywood trade scooping this. And even then they didn't have all the information. And I did not expect to go in season one and, you know, see a baby Yoda. Like no, no one thought that there was no one yeah. in their right mind, even thinking a, you know, Yoda would appear much less a baby Yoda. So um, I thought, I thought they did a really good job keeping everything under lock and key. And I couldn't even tell you if I ever heard anything crazy or any word on the streets, to be honest with you. Skylar, one thing I like about you that's been very clear from this conversation is that you are a level-headed Star Wars fan, which is a dying breed in these oh, days. Oh, of course. <laughs> now, in terms of the Mandalorian, Eric and I have talked on this pod that one thing we did not like about season one is how it became this episodic challenge of the week format as opposed to more traditional serialized storytelling over the course of multiple episodes. What are you expecting to see in the Mandalorian in terms of format? 
And can you talk a little bit more about what you just mentioned in terms of familiar faces popping up? Well, that might be my biggest concern going into season two, and I'm in the minority here. Uh, Derek and I had talked about this on our show, and um, it was, for me, I'm of course, I'm like everyone else, I'm super stoked for October 30th to get here already so we can check this out. My biggest concern is there are reports that, you know, Boba Fett's going to return. There are reports now that Ahsoka Tano is going to appear. There are reports that Bo-Katan's going to appear. There are reports that Rex might appear. There's, and now we're hearing these reports of these spinoff series in the works, whether it's for a Bo-Katan and Cara Dune, there's a spinoff series for, uh, you know, could there be a spinoff series for Ahsoka Tano? So my, my big concern is jam-packing the Dave Filoni universe into a series that really was kind of on its own. And um, I, I agree with, with your guys' concerns on season one. I felt like they were kind of pivoting away from the main storyline and doing these side adventures with these random characters that I really didn't get connected to. And maybe that'll change with, uh, you know, Bill Burr coming back with his character and um, some of these other characters that we briefly seen in the series. Uh, season two for me, though, it's it only makes me nervous because there's going to be familiar faces appearing now, whether or not it's, you know, very small scenes, cameos, uh, little nods that also scares me. I don't want a bunch of tip of the hats. Like it, it's nice to see the stormtroopers, but that's, you know, that's star Wars. That's the empire. They're meant to be there. They're, they've always were meant to be there, but tips of the hat in terms of, Oh, you know, Ahsoka Tano, one of the most popular characters in Rebels and Clone Wars. Let's put her in, you know, here. I don't want to see shoehorned storylines. And that's my only concern. Aside from that, I'm super stoked. I thought the teaser was fine. I, it's really it's really cool to see, you know, that little underground uh, cage match scene with those two orc-looking characters that we all know. Um, so it's... I, I, I agree with the concerns you had with season one, but those are my concerns going into season two. And that should not take away from the fact that I am looking forward to the series. Eric, to your, I'm sorry, Skylar, to your point, the rumor, the most recent rumor I've seen is that Ahsoka Tano may only appear in one episode, which would suggest that they are setting her up for her own spinoff series. Now, you are someone who not only has the pulse of what's going on at Disney, but the pulse of what Disney fans most want, because you are one of the most engaging social presences online. Do you think like an Ahsoka spinoff centric series could work on its own? I, so I do, and that's, I, Ahsoka's in, uh, well, let me just talk about the Disney community, because it's so vastly different from the movie community, and the, and even from the TV community, but the Disney community has just flocked to Ahsoka Tano. You go to Galaxy's Edge, which is at Disneyland, which is sadly still closed, or Walt Disney World that has their own Galaxy's Edge, you know, they're putting her lightsaber in the workshop where you can go to build lightsabers. Uh, there's talks of her being a, you know, a, a featured uh, meet and greet character. She's all over Disney marketing, whether it's Disney stores have books with her, they have clothes with her. Like, this is a character people have gravitated to thanks to Rebels, thanks to uh, the Clone Wars, thanks to the video games. So, you know, Ashley Eckstein, who voices the character in the animated series, uh, she's just beloved by Disney fans. She's a Disney face. She's, you know, she's all over Disney style. She's all over the Disney Parks blog. 
Um, this would this is a character that would indeed work, and I would be shocked if a spinoff is not in development right now. Wow, that's a big that's a big call. I have a hard time seeing how they could make someone with those horns that with those head with that head. Yeah. I I don't know. If she'll They're on series. Yeah, I don't know if they'll do the whole rogue thing. I I found it very weird because it's similar to they're really they weren't really horns but Whatever. what was it episode five of the mandalorian and that that chick with the we've seen her in in return of the jedi too the chick with the tentacle head that drapes down you know, they like, aren't the same species they're not the they, same type of thing they could be no. i i no, that i cannot tell they Hera's could be species, right <laughs> yes right yeah now that, now, yeah you you did you watch clone wars are I've tried, but I've tried like two or three times. The animation style is not for everyone. It's a it's a very it's a very interesting animation style, especially for Star Wars. It it and for me, you, you I don't know how you animate Star Wars. I I don't find any of the animation in any of the series they've done to be groundbreaking or engaging. But there's a group of people that love it, which is cool. I mean, and like that is the type of. Star Wars that I would enjoy. I enjoy it when it's scaled back. That's what I enjoy about the show. When the fate of the entire galaxy is not the main goal. I like it when when the goal is smaller. So in this sense, I'm more on the journey with the main character. So what you're saying about all these big names that are going to pop up this year concerns me big time. Yeah, that's my only concern is just throwing in faces and i and i from all i've heard it was you know uh, like you said ahsoka is in one episode as far as we know but who knows the mandalorian is a series that it seems to be under lock and key in terms of their story and where they're laying out the groundwork it's usually the scoops that come out are oh this character will appear not this character will appear in this many episodes, this is her storyline. All that's been kept under lock and key. They so. wouldn't cast a name like that in, in a role like that if they didn't oh, have planned for her to be in season three or her own. Like, it wouldn't shock me if she's worked in towards the end and then built up as being a big part of season three. I agree. Now, with everything that is rumored about who's showing up in Mando season two. Oh, actually, B, sorry. No, go Let ahead. me just ask you this. I want you to make one big prediction for season two. Mine is that the child is going to get a real name. What's yours? Oh. Putting you on the spot. Go for it. Swing for the fences, Skylar. Actually, uh, to, to, to give you time to think, B. You're up first. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so with everything that we, we are seeing with Mandalorian season two, with everything we know is in development on Disney Plus, with everything that's rumored, what do you expect for the future of Lucasfilm and Star Wars on Disney Plus? What should fans expect to see in the coming months and years? Oh, you guys asking me the hardball questions today, aren't you? I'm throwing some good ones out there. Oh, of course. I'm go- I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say, and I'm not saying alive, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I think we see Ewan McGregor sooner than people think. I think he's a force ghost. I think we briefly see him uh, with the Ahsoka Tano character. Wow, I love that. There's, That's a bold there's prediction. Just too, there's, too many, there's too many connections there. 
It's, you know, her, her and Obi-Wan have, have had this history together with Anakin. It just, it would make sense to see a Force ghost in turn. I think it's Obi-Wan. I don't personally think it's Anakin, even though Ahsoka and Anakin have a deeper history. I think it's Obi-Wan. I think he's the hot name right now. He's got his own series coming up that's going to start filming here next year. I think we see Obi-Wan. When I'm wrong, Star Wars fans can come attack me. Beads, do you have a guess or no? What's up, Eric? Do you have a guess for, for like, what's your big claim for this season? I think that they got to – I don't think that they're going to find the child's home, but I do think that they're going to give it a real name. My my big guess isn't really like a big swing for the fences. It's something we've talked about on this pod before, and that is with the introduction of Moff Gideon as the big bad at the end of season one, with the trailer insinuating closer connections to the Jedi mythos and potential origins for Yoda's species to be discovered, which George Lucas has intentionally left blank for 40 years. I believe season two will be better, more serialized, uh, a better, stronger, more thought out season of television than season one. That's not necessarily a bold swing, but that is kind of the direction I see the show moving based on the clues and evidence that we have. Love it. Interesting. Now, Scott. Uh, I, like, I like how it's all laid out. You have the groundwork all laid out and ready. That definitely. could be true. Now, Skylar, we know we have an Obi-Wan series. We know we have a Rogue One series. Mando's probably going to run for a long time. There's just so many rumors about potential spinoffs, not to believe a handful of them are true. Even though Disney is obviously moving forward with Star Wars movies, the next of which will be directed by Taika Waititi, as a resident kind of Disney expert, do you think Star Wars might be a little bit done as a must-have big screen blockbuster property? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I think what people want is new storytelling. I, it, it's hard to say because we, we've seen the box office returns go down with the sequel trilogy as, as the most recent example, of course. Um, but here's the thing. When, you, when you're the, one of the highest grossing films of all time with episode seven, you, it's hard to raise the bar for episode eight because you, you're only going to grow so much. Like it's a handful of movies have only have made 2 billion at the box office. So, you know, when you're still making a billion dollars per movie, I still think you're on a good path. I think that what's great about, you know, these new films that are in development, whether it's like you said, the Taika Waititi film, uh, the, uh, was it the JD Dillard film? That's uh, that could be a film or series. Uh, whether or not Ryan Johnson and Kevin Feige do their own. Uh, I, I think these are going to be new stories. They're going to get away from the Skywalker saga. And I think people want new stories because they're so invested in the Mandalorian right now, being that prime, you know, series, original series for Disney plus season two, the hype train is just full steam ahead. And I, I think if, if that's something Disney wants to, remain doing for Disney plus, which works. It, it, it definitely works and they don't plan on stopping. I, I still think there is, is a, there's an investment on the film, on the film side, basically, you know, people are going to want to flock to the movies. They're going to see how well they're doing, how well they've treated the Mandalorian, you know, the reviews for the Mandalorian and the, the reactions have been through the roof and I I'm sure season two will be the same. And if they continue that trend, that'll give viewers and fans a little more uh, ease to go back into the films, you know, knowing that Disney's taking care of Star Wars. 
and that they say, hey, you know what? Maybe the sequel trilogy wasn't for me, but we can see from The Mandalorian that they do take care of Star Wars. Let's go check out, you know, Kevin Feige's Star Wars. And if you're slapping Kevin Feige's name on a Star Wars film, people are going. He's the, right now, he's the, the, the great, in my opinion, the, the greatest producer of all time to, when it comes to these Marvel movies, like no one in the history of cinema has ever done what Kevin Feige's done with a franchise. And, you know, and I, you could say the same for Taika Waititi. He's, he's the hottest name on the block. Jojo Rabbit, fantastic. Hunt for the Wilder People, which is, in my opinion, his best movie. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all the things Taika puts his hands on, I think people will go back to the movies in droves. I, I, I still think there's an investment there that Disney sees, and I think fans will too. Do you guys think that they are going to interweave the plots of films and shows? Absolutely. Okay. The whole, the whole reason, in my opinion, to have an interconnected universe is to have ping-ponging elements, whether that be characters or storylines, that drive interest from medium to medium. So I absolutely believe you'll see a character introduced in a Disney Plus series who pops up in a cameo in a movie and vice versa. You know, a character introduced in a movie who then gets their own Disney Plus series and has interweaving elements. I think you're seeing that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with WandaVision leading into Doctor Strange 2. It's only good business sense and the only kind of benefit of the one of the big benefits of vertical integration that we're seeing in the media empire is being able to have this interconnected web across different platforms. Skylar, you? Uh, so I, I agree. I agree with everything he Brandon just said. It's, you know, John Favreau and Pedro Pascal have both already been asked, like, could we see these characters on the big screen? And they did not deny it. You know, there's optimism there. I, I do think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a great example on what they're doing. I think with someone like, you know, the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal's becoming an even hotter name. You know, he's he's been, he's been uh, you know, in around film circles, but now his name's just garnering this notoriety. You know, he's he was in that horrible Kingsman sequel, but, you know, he was in it. Um, he, he's going to be in Wonder Woman 1984. He's going to be uh, in other projects. And that name is just growing. And I, I think that character, along with that name, putting that in a movie, whether it be a cameo or a supporting role, I think you do see it. I, I do. I mean, the Mandalorian already exists within the film universe. It, would, it wouldn't be a problem to now mix the two together. Skylar, whenever you guys do drop your unbelievable exclusive scoop on Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie, will you, <laughs> after it's published and, and making the internet rounds, will you please promise to come back on the show to discuss it in some more detail? Because we, we want the secondary report on that. You guys get yeah, the exclusive and we get you. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if Justin Kroll or Boris Kitt has anything to say about that. <laughs> well, I'm putting my money on you guys over Deadline or THR. I appreciate that. That'd be, that'd be great. It's, Star Wars is a tough thing to scoop, but you never know. Well, I guess to wrap up this conversation, there's obviously a lot of controversy in the sequel trilogy around the direction of Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. I personally think she's getting a bad rap in, as someone who's in an impossible situation. While I do think there are certain things that Lucasfilm could probably improve on, I think her, her track record speaks for itself in that when you have four out of five movies go over a billion dollars, you're doing a good job. Where do you fall on this seemingly endless battle in terms of Kathleen Kennedy's Lucasfilm performance? 
I 100% agree. I have never bought into the Kathleen Kennedy should get fired or step down or, or be removed. I, I, I've just never been there. She is uh, kind of like Kevin Feige. She's one of the greatest producers in cinema. Her, her hand has been on some of the greatest films through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. It's uh, whether you think of anything that Lucasfilm has done, Steven Spielberg's done, it's her, her hand has been in a lot of successful films. She's, you know, these Star Wars movies with Disney have passed, surpassed $6.5 billion, probably north of that. You have a successful series that's, you know, going on strong right now with The Mandalorian Season 2. They have a bunch of titles in the works with Kathleen Kennedy's name on it. They just uh, announced yesterday the Willow uh, series for Disney Plus moving forward. And Kathleen Kennedy is very much on board. Um, and I, I think if, you know, that series is just as good as the Mandalorian series, then her, her job is safe. Um, it's going to be all about what does Lucasfilm provide in the market outside of Star Wars? Because I, I do think Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm, because everyone forgets Lucasfilm isn't just generally Star Wars. They, you know, they develop a ton of features outside of that. We look at, for, in, for instance, Indiana Jones or, you know, some of their animated films, which aren't the best, which I think that'll end up going away anyways. Um, so I, I, it's, it's hard to argue to remove or fire someone that has a billion dollar franchise, you know, in what, five years, you know, $6.5 billion in five years. That's great. And I bet any studio would take that in a heartbeat. What Disney TV series film uh, do you want to see most or that your most bums got pushed back? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Putting you on the spot, Tyler. It's probably, and here's the thing. It's probably Jungle Cruise. And um, everything I've heard from, from people I know that have had a chance to see the movie have told me great things about it. They say it's going to spawn a franchise similar to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or at least has that impact. And uh, you know Jones we're Rose. friends of The Rock here at the post credit pod. We're <laughs> yeah, of course. Wayne Johnson supporters. Wait, you, get, you, get a, you get a box of tequila every, every month, right? <laughs> no, no. We have, we have a special little bet in terms of his box office performance. And even if, even if that wasn't the case, The Rock is, is the man. That, that's yeah. confirmed here I, at post credit pod. I will say, whatever prediction you have, uh, raise the bar with Jungle Cruise, because I do think that's going to be a, a huge hit, uh, you know, obviously based on the attraction. But but here's the thing. There's, see, I know I know a way too much about that movie already. But it's that would be the one for me because I like, I I find it very fascinating to take a a theme park attraction and turn it into a film, not vice versa. Not turn a film into a theme park attraction because any theme park can do that, as we can see. But doing it the other way around, taking a oh, we're taking this Pirates of the Caribbean movie and we're gonna or ride and we're gonna make it into a movie like. There, when you ride Pirates of the Caribbean, it's it's just a swashbuckling pirate ride. You know, these still animated characters. And all of a sudden, they're going to bring this to life and try and find a way to make a thematic story. And uh, Jungle Cruise is the same way. You're just on a boat looking at animals with a funny skipper. And now you're going to make this into a high-octane, romancing-the-stone-style movie. I, I find that to be fascinating. 
Um, I love The Rock. I find Emily Blunt to be great in everything she's in. Uh, it's got a fantastic supporting cast. Paul Giamatti can do no wrong to me except for The Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 2. Uh, you know, it's Jesse Plemons is in there. I mean, it's yeah. it's a movie. It's I, I'm a sucker for adventure and, you know, this just crazy mythical uh, Indiana Jones style films. And this is what this looks like. It's going to be to me. And uh, yeah, that might be it, but there's, there's tons like that Cruella movie. I've heard good things about uh, you have Ryan, the last dragon, which had a trailer. What was it yesterday? That, that really, looks great. That's the animated, you know, their animation site has always been their bread and butter until the, uh, I love it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's crazy. There's Disney has so much in development. They have so much going on that I'm, I'm super excited for, but I'm hyped up for spot, soul. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm psyched for soul as well. I, I'm psyched for soul too. And I, uh, it's, um, putting it on Disney plus is a great move. If you yep. hope in the future that premier access is going to be a thing. Um, cause you're only going to drive, you know, your subscriber base doing it that way. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good. I think Disney's going to have a hot streak of films and series coming out, and I'm stoked for all of them. All right, Skylar Schuler, editor-in-chief of the Diz Insider. Tell the people where they can find you and what you got going on. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you can find me at Skylar Schuler on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, thedizinsider.com, all over social media, just the Diz Insider. Uh, we are, you know, we have our podcast via Patreon. Uh, we have a brand new studio that's being built right now. We're super stoked for that because we're going to kick off YouTube. Uh, yeah. We have a couple, we have our own couple scoops in the works that we hope we can uh, get confirmed here pretty soon. And um, yeah, we're just going to continue doing what we do and what we love. And hopefully uh, everyone enjoys the content. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope to have you again, my man. Awesome, well, man. I, yeah, this was a blast. I can't You're wait great, to be on man. again. This was great. And we're, again, uh, much. We're, we're holding to holding you to that post scoop appearance. All right. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get with Kevin Feige's people immediately. <laughs> I'm gonna make him an offer, Kevin. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 